Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today's question, who is the world's richest woman? Um, I, I really hope that people have seen the episode title and have already made guesses before yes. they started listening. I'm sure they have, and I'm sure they're all wrong. Yeah, am I? Because at first I was like, well, it's probably going to be Oprah? Yeah. Maybe. Or some queen somewhere. Yes, a qu- <laughs> queen of wealth. <laughs> and perhaps that makes us seem uh, uninformed about a female global wealth distribution. But in fact, it is not queen of riches, <laughs> the unnamed queen of riches. <laughs> Nor Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and once I found out the answer, I was, I, I face palmed. Uh, I was like, oh man, ah, Kristen, should have thought of that. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. Let's reveal it. Okay, go ahead. You do it. Do the honors, Caroline. All right. The world's richest woman. Drum roll. Jerry, can we get a drum roll in here? All right. It is Christy Walton. She is the widow of John Walton, the son of the Walmart founder, Sam Walton. (laughs) Excellent. You're the greatest sound effect ever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Christy Walton. She's 56. Uh, She's worth $24.5 billion. That's a lot of billions. It's almost as much as uh, the worth of stuff mom never told you. You know? Yes. And hugs. <laughs> Rounded up a lot. <laughs> so like you said, she is the widow of John Walton. And this whole widow daughter thing is something that comes up a lot on the Forbes billionaire list. Um, her husband, John, died in an airplane accident in 2005 when his homemade plane crashed in the Grand Teton National Park. Yeah. That homemade part kind of... It was kit built. He had a kit. Instead of being a bajillionaire who has a fancy private plane, which he might have, I don't know. He he His thing was building planes. Do you think that he bought that kit at Walmart? Oh. Probably not. Oh. I, had to, I had to go there. Um, but she also has a lot of investment in First Solar and that shares have gone up. 500% since its 2006 initial public offering. And there's been some controversy with First Solar because uh, in September of 2011, the Obama administration approved about $1.46 million in loan guarantees for the company to build its solar power plant in Riverside, California. And its profits have not been as robust as the initial public offering made it out to seem. Oh, I see. Um, well, Christy Walton, she's not, her only thing isn't just being rich. She has other hobbies besides that. She is a philanthropist who supports museums, education, and organic gardening. And she actually comes in at number 10 overall on the Forbes list of world's richest people, mm-hmm. men and women. And it's interesting because it seems like, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but it seems like really wealthy women put a lot of support behind education and and museums. They're they're very big into philanthropy, maybe even more so than the world's wealthiest men. We thought we'd go ahead and fill you in on the other two, the two runners-up. 
the next of whom is Lillian Benacourt, and she's number 15 overall, the richest people, worth 23.5 billion bucks. Um, and she is the heiress to the French cosmetic giant L'Oreal, which was founded by her father. Because Yet again, she's worth it. Because she's worth <laughs> she it. She is worth it, and quite a lot. And again, we have um, these, you know, an incredibly wealthy woman who inherited a lot of money from a dead guy. Right, right. And then number three uh, in Forbes 2011 list of the world's, or I guess the world's richest women, mm. uh, is Alice Walton, who is the sister-in-law of Christy Walton. So that's a, the family's got a lot going on. Yeah, the Forbes wealthiest list is always riddled with Waltons. It's basically like the Walton family tree sprawling throughout it. The and Walton. <laughs> that's a different type of TV show. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of museums, uh, Alice Walton did in fact open a museum in Bentonville, Arkansas, Walmart's birthplace, to showcase one of the world's preeminent collections of American art from colonial time to the present. Yep. Did we say how much she's worth? I don't know. She's worth twenty point nine billion. If I don't know whether we said that, but I think it needs to be reinforced. Billion. Twenty point nine billion dollars. But these these women made they inherited their wealth. Were there any on the list that actually worked and got their money? Right. Well, we don't want to. We don't want to discount the kind of wealth management that that all of these women have probably dealt with. But yeah, it, it is. I don't want to say disappointing, but it's not quite as exciting that it's <laughs> sure. all inheritance money. So then we get down to the billionaires list: only self-made billionaire, and it is, and I'm going to totally butcher this name, I'm sure, but it's Wu Yajun, and she's worth $5.5 billion, and she was a former journalist who worked for the China Shirong News Agency from 1988 to 1993, but that's not where she made her money. Definitely not in journalism, if anybody knows. Exactly. Um, She got into real estate development, and my goodness, is reaping the dividends. Right, yeah, shares in her real estate developer Long For Properties rose by a quarter from a year earlier, and contract sales for 2010 soared 81% from a year earlier to $5 billion. I'm not going to stop saying it like that. $5 billion. And, uh, but she's not the only self-made person, maybe not in the top 10, but we, we've left out someone important. Oprah. Oprah. Yeah, in 2011, Oprah was worth $2.7 billion, uh, which is actually a, a significant drop in her Forbes ranking, down mm-hmm. 20 spots, because um, there there's been some, you know, a little bit of economic shifting going around just in general in the past mm-hmm. few years for anyone who's been living under a, a rock. Um, and supposedly, I thought this was... Uh, interesting. I, I did not do a lot of digging because I couldn't read Mandarin and this came from <laughs> a Chinese report. What? <laughs> but supposedly two thirds of the world's 28, just 28 self-made f- female billionaires are women from China, are Chinese women. Put another way. Chinese women comprise two thirds of the world's 28 self-made female billionaires. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder, uh, wonder what's going on. Maybe they're all in real estate. Or could be. With a very strong work ethic in real estate. But like I said, that's, uh, that was just a fact that I ran across that I didn't do much digging on. So if anyone out there knows more about this. Or knows any Chinese billionaires. <laughs> yeah. If there send, are. <laughs> send us a check that we won't be able to accept. <laughs> right. 
Um, but so we talked about how Forbes has the richest women in the world list and has the richest people in the world list. So why aren't those lists more together? Will there ever be a woman at the top of the richest people in the world list? The Wall Street Journal thinks that there is a pretty good chance that mining heiress Georgina Reinert could replace the Mexican telecom billionaire Carlos Helu as the richest person in the world if the commodity prices keep rising because she has some very profitable mines. Yeah, her three coal and iron ore projects are among the ten most promising mining projects in the world. And isn't Reinhardt Australian? I believe she is. Yes, yes, she is Australian. And according to the Australian website Smart Company, if Reinhardt's uh, company were publicly traded, she could have a net worth of thirty billion. I said it normally dollars, and annual profits could reach ten billion a year, and her net worth could approach one hundred billion dollars. Caroline has dollar signs in her eyes. I do. I'm about to pass out. Um, but again, Reinhardt inherited these mining operations from her father. But that doesn't mean that she hasn't been very active in sustaining these businesses, which probably like Walmart to um, some listeners out there are controversial ways to make your money. But that's that's how the that's how the world works. Indeed. And uh, according to, we're not just making these observations ourselves willy-nilly, because we don't have opinions or anything. Um, according to the Credit Suisse Research Institute, women are more likely to acquire wealth through inheritance, partially because of our life expectancy. Yeah, since we are outliving men on average, we kind of just um, hold out and then take their money once they... <laughs> Pass on. Not to sound like we're plotting or anything. <laughs> well, there's also been a rise in female wealth ownership because of uh, more egalitarian laws in terms of how you divide up marital assets, estate holdings. Um, all of that can now. Uh, there's a greater chance of it passing directly on to to wives and daughters than it used to be. Yeah. And um, I thought it was interesting to note that the share of uh, women among the very wealthy in the U.S. seems to have peaked, according to this uh, research in- institute, seems to have peaked in the late 1960s and declined to about one-third in the late 1990s. And so they cite a reduction in the importance of inherited wealth as entrepreneurship, deregulation, and technological advances have led to wealth mobility. And as an example of that, going back yet again to Forbes' list of wealthiest people, in 1986, 89 women were on that list. Um, that was the peak. And then in 2009, the number dropped down to 41. Right. But there's a change, and part of that change is that um, there has been an increase in the number of women whose source of wealth is not reported as inheritance. And in 1982, that number was just eight. And in 2009, it had risen to... 31. Now, this podcast episode is de- dealing with female wealth management in a pretty pretty narrow sense, and we can get dig into more of these issues in later podcasts. But just to give you an idea of where the bulk of female wealth is coming from, there was a poll from Asset Management Advisors, a poll of 555 women, most with a net worth of a million dollars or more. 
And again, 36% inherited their wealth. 29% made money from their husband's employment. And then just 7% made their fortunes from their own businesses. But this is just reflecting a rise in female entrepreneurship and, and new opportunities that have opened up that more and more women are taking advantage of. Yeah, and according to the survey, most women were responsible for making daily financial decisions for their households, but they shared decision-making about wealth management with their husbands, and about a third said that they rely on expert advisors to make wealth management decisions for them. But the downside of uh, the those wealth management advisors is that according to a survey from the Boston Consulting Group, women claim that their advisors gave them dumbed-down advice, assuming that they have a lower risk tolerance because women stereotypically take less risk than men, and they're more focused on social issues, i.e. education and museum investment, things like that, over actual performance. So that's disappointing to hear, that when these women walk into these offices, uh, the advisors aren't necessarily taking them quite as seriously as they might, or at least investing their money as aggressively as they would with a male client. Yeah, but uh, this uh, asset management advisors uh, survey, most of the respondents said they do want a greater understanding of wealth management and a greater say in family trust planning. It just seems that they haven't quite maybe made the leap away from their advisors. And I did mention earlier that uh, the world's wealthiest women do place a strong emphasis in, on charity, and this is reinforced through the Asset Management Advisor Survey, which found that uh, these women are more likely to be knowledgeable about charitable giving and philanthropy than in investment management, taxes, and insurance planning. Yeah, and there was um, an episode from quite a while ago now that we did on whether or not women are more philanthropic because recently nonprofits have been spending um, more time and resources really focusing on uh, female donors because statistically we do tend to give more, especially as you move up the the wealth ladder. Mm -hmm. And there was a statement in one of these articles that we read that wealthy married women are more likely to give to charities along with their wealthy spouses. So there seems to be an influence that these wealthy women have on their equally wealthy husbands. Mm -hmm. Um, And the good news for wealth management overall in in terms of the gender divide is that uh, it is increasing the female wealth wealth uh, gap is closing and in North America there's actually a greater percentage of female wealth management here than any other region in the world and together with western europe it accounts for about 14.3 trillion of the wealth controlled by women which is two thirds of global wealth Yes, and that is a huge number compared with the other two uh, regions in the top three. Uh, in Australia and New Zealand, that's that comes in at number two, the amount of wealth controlled by women rose by 24% in 2009. And the percentage of total wealth controlled is 31%, which equates to $0.5 trillion. Still a lot so of dollars. That's a lot. Well, that is that is several sacks of dollars. Yes. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, look, but nine trillion, nine, right. nine. The number nine down to point five is the next one. So that's a pretty large chunk. Um, and then, but but if we're thinking about it too, this is more. Um, these regional rankings are based on that percentage of total wealth. Mm-hmm. And the third runner-up is Asia, 
minus Japan, um, where women have been increasingly inheriting wealth due to, once again, just outliving men. It's just basic biology. Sorry, we're just winning the race. <laughs> um, and in Asia, the percentage of total wealth controlled by women is 29%, which translates to $2.8 trillion. And then the rest of the world comes along, <laughs> just straggling behind. Um, but overall, yes, the, the amount of global wealth controlled by women is increasing, and we probably should do some follow-up episodes on the bottom rungs of the ladder where in developing countries they found that giving the the much, much less than $9 trillion, the, the control of household finances to women is almost always a better investment than allowing the, the male head of household to control it. Right. There are a lot of organizations out there, actually, that you can donate to um, that support small businesses by women, mm-hmm. whether it's basket weaving or farming or something, there seems to be a connection between um, supporting them financially and then supporting their families and communities. And you do see that issue of supporting family and supporting community, even among these richest of the rich women who often adopt, you know, major philanthropic causes, invest in education, invest in museums and public education. Um, so it, it seems like a top-down kind of theme that happens when you, when you give Women the wealth. Not to say that, you know, guys shouldn't control money too, but I, I just thought it'd be fun to find out who these richest women are. Yeah. And, and how they got their money. And none of them are royalty. You're right. Although, uh, Betancourt is makeup royalty. True. You could say. And then the Waltons are Walmart royalty. They are. Which some might find oxymoronic. So there you have it. The richest woman in the world, Christy Walton. Yeah, so tell us your guesses. Who did you guess? Mm-hmm. I know that my guess was some queen of something. And you were wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. And also remember that we, we do want to uh, do follow-up episodes on, you know, women in entrepreneurship and... Yeah, who's leading companies and all that stuff. Right. Uh, because it's a, it's, a, it's a wild frontier, a wild and growing frontier for women and money-making mm-hmm. in general. But in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on the world's wealthiest women to send our way, momstuffatdiscovery.com is the address. We've got a couple of letters here to share. The first of which comes from Michelle in response to our episode on imaginary friends. The subject line of this letter is murder of an imaginary friend, which I immediately had had to open as soon as it dropped in the inbox. She writes, when my son Matthew was three, he had three imaginary friends, Buddy, Buddy, and Chief. While visiting my parents and brother one afternoon, my 21-year-old brother walked out of a back room and started to the dining room. My son, who was sitting on my lap at the dining room table, pointed and seriously warned his uncle, don't step on Buddy, he's right there. My brother pointed directly in front of his feet and asked, here? My son replied, yes. Right here? His uncle teasingly asks again, still pointing, uh-huh. My son nods. He again verifies the location of Buddy. Right here? Yes, uncle. My brother then lifts his booted foot and stomps exactly where his nephew had indicated Buddy was lying. My three-year-old son was instantly traumatized and burst into tears, and I've never seen a more horrified look on anyone's face as I did than my brother. He immediately rushed over to his nephew, reassuring him that Buddy, the imaginary friend, had moved on at the last second and hadn't been hurt in any way. My son is now 12, and his uncle still teases him constantly. (laughs) 
Buddy Buddy and Chief. That reminds mm-hmm. me of Larry, Daryl, and Daryl from <laughs> the New Heart Show. They were not imaginary. So I have a letter here from an anonymous listener about our Faking Orgasms podcast and a comment we made about PhD students. She says, so you joked about PhD students faking it to get back to paper writing in your latest podcast. Unfortunately, it's totally true. Many female grad students I know, myself included, have faked it with their partner simply because they need to get back to work. Personally, I don't usually have a problem orgasming and can have multiple orgasms, but it ends up being a double-edged sword. My partner knows this about me, and being the giving person that he is, he wants me to have multiple orgasms most of the time. And I've got lesson plans to write, exams to grade, papers to edit, and a dissertation to work on. I fully enjoy it, but sometimes I've just got to get it to end while saving face for him. It probably sounds like I fake it all the time, but really I've probably only faked it 3 to 5% of the time during our seven-year relationship. And because she's a PhD student, I'm sure that the percentages are correct. Yes. So thank you, Anonymous, and everyone else who has written in... um, the fake orgasm episode has been giving our spam filter quite a workout, but I've been able to uh, to get most of them through, I'm pretty sure. Again, our email address is momstuffatdiscovery.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can always read what we're writing during the week at the mothership, owlstuffworks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. The House Networks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?